Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome. It is uh, Red Shirt Thursday. Thursday is uh, the day before Red Shirt Friday, and you don't have to wear a red shirt today, but remember to do it tomorrow. Okay. Uh, pretty good show set for you today. I got Adam Adams coming up. We'll talk about the NBA playoffs and then talking baseball, something close to Jake's heart, <laughs> Andrew's heart, excuse me. Uh, yeah, I am not Jake today. No, I'm only I, Jake on Saturdays. I apologize. Uh, but, uh, uh, and we'll get it. What are we going to get into in talking baseball? A little bit of Clayton Kershaw news with him, uh, setting a Dodger record and also Dusty Baker entering an exclusive managerial club. Is that 1,000 wins? Uh, 2,000. 2,000. That's even better. That's almost twice as good. Just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> uh, my good friend Norm Early passed away. Woody, my friend Woody sent me a text saying Norm had passed away. He was the uh, DA here in Denver for quite a while. It's always nice to have a good friend who's the district attorney. Uh <laughs> The, the DA's office of Denver used to throw their Christmas party at my restaurant. And I, I thought, whoa, we got, you know, uh, Norm was uh, the NBC legal correspondent for the Today Show for many years. Uh, I've not seen Norm for a while, but he's an old golfing buddy and ran for mayor in, uh, oh, I want to say 1990. Uh, and I supported him for in that effort. He should have won. He was way ahead. Uh, and uh, Norm, you will be missed. You will be remembered. You are in my thoughts. So Norm Early passes away. A couple of things. Magic Johnson has pulled, has has jumped in the Broncos ownership package. Uh, that is headed up by the. Uh, by Josh Harris, who's the one of the co-owners of the 76ers. Did you, uh, I, I know you didn't watch winning. You really got to. And, you know, it's only a couple episodes left. It's really good. Uh, but there was a documentary that was out. I think it was only three, maybe four episodes. Uh, it was just titled uh, Magic, I think. I Am Magic, whatever it was. It just ran. It just came out. And it was about his life. It was really interesting. And all the things he did, they they highlighted the the things he did that were a success. They 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 brought up all the things that he did that didn't work. Most things he Magic Johnson is in, by the way, uh, has worked greatly. I'd love for Magic to be part of that package. Uh, I don't see where where. You know, Magic was part of the Dodger package, uh, which they touched on. Uh, you know, Magic grew up poor, and uh, Jackie Robinson represented a lot of things to a lot of people. To the, the to the to the black community, uh, 
black African-Americans in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Jackie Robinson really meant a lot to them, and he still he still does. But uh, he was alive during a lot of that. Uh, and for Magic to get and be part of the ownership package of the Dodgers, who was the original, the original uh, group that or team that that signed an African American ball player. Uh, really had a lot of special meaning to Magic Johnson. You know, there's a statue, not in the stadium, but outside the stadium at 20th and Blake. And that statue is who? Can you guess it's Jackie Robinson? That's a bad guess. Guy by the name of Branch Rickard. Oh, yeah, the old, the old GM that brought him into the organization. Who signed Who signed Jackie Robinson? And they, we have the Branch Rickey Award that one of the smart things the ownership package did here, Brent Rickey Award, is much uh, respected in baseball. It's one of the things uh, Bob Gebhardt uh, and uh, as well as uh, uh, the Jerry McMorris initially put together was the Brent Rickey Award that uh, that has here, and uh, uh, there were a lot of Denver people who worked on getting it put uh, put together and the criteria for winning it and all the things that go with that. So magic's in that picture. Okay, I've been giving this a lot of thought. You know what Pete Carroll does not does not like? Russell Wilson. Well, he loves Russell Wilson. No, he's not that guy. Pete Carroll's one of the good guys. Okay, I just knew there's a, there used to be a bunch of ice between the two. Uh, Pete Carroll doesn't hold that. Not Pete Carroll. Uh, he doesn't like turning the ball over. Russell Wilson last year missed three games, still threw 25 touchdowns, and I think only five interceptions, if I'm correct. I'm pretty sure Drew Locke might have had five interceptions in a game since he's been in the league. I'm not, and maybe they pulled him out before he got his fifth or something. But he turns over the ball a lot. Uh, I think he has the most turnovers for a starting quarterback per minutes played, per plays, per hundred plays, that kind of thing. There's all kind of analytics on it. Uh, Cleveland's not going to just get rid of Baker Mayfield for nothing. Number one. They know Deshaun Watson isn't going to play in at least the first six games. I blow. I hope he doesn't play in this decade. I hope he gets a seat next to Colin Kaepernick. Uh, although I think Colin Kaepernick's going to get a shot this year. I don't. I someone's going to give him a shot when there's an injury, whatever it might be. I think Colin Kaepernick gets a shot. But. Uh, Pete Carroll likes handing the ball off. He thinks he'll he'll know that he can do that uh, with Baker Mayfield. And Cleveland's just not gonna let him let you know, not have him on there because they need they need to win games waiting for Deshaun Watson to become eligible to play. And it's one thing you know, he's he been he has he's won games, he can win games. Uh 
and he's got no one else any better than him. If so, unless someone actually gives something to Cleveland of substance, they will come back. He'll be the starting quarterback on opening day. I think that's the way that's going to go. So, uh, so Magic Johnson joins the Denver Bronco. We haven't heard. We haven't heard much about the what, what was the TV guy that that came out early as part of the ownership package. Oh, the guy that owns the Weather Channel. Yes. I'll uh, look for his name real quick. Yeah. Uh, we haven't heard much about him since that came out. Of course, they're keeping it on the down low. Everybody's there on the down low. Once Magic Johnson gets involved in something, it's no longer on the down low. <laughs> it's, it is, it's worldwide news. Magic's, magic is, uh, that's exactly what he brings to it. Byron Allen. Byron Allen. Who was the comedian when I, when, when I was younger? That's where he made his money. You know, he was like Arsenio Hall. Not that you know who that is. The name rings a bell. Was he also in a couple movies? Arsene Hall was in several movies, and he was Minute Baby. The, one of the most famous black films that had more black actors coming up in it, coming to America. He was, uh, he, he was uh, the, the partner in crime to Eddie Murphy in, in Coming to America, which was a really good movie. I mean, if you, re, if you rewatch that, Every young, black, talented actor in the planet uh, was in that movie. You know, even if it's just a line or they're having lunch at McDonald's, which is... Or the knockoff McDonald's. Yeah, the knockoff McDonald's. But uh, anyway, we'll take a quick break. Adam Mades joins us. What's the matter with the clothes I'm wearing? Have you ever wished the radio guy would think like you and say things that actually make sense rather than softening his stance to be politically correct? Well then, Whiteley so. Gil Whiteley will give you the absolute truth. Hello and welcome back. Joining me, one of the foremost... Uh, knowledgeable people, uh, certainly on the Denver Nuggets, but also on the NBA. Joins me, Adam Mades from DNVR. Adam. Gil, it's been good to be joining you. Uh, kind of a serious subject here. I don't like this. Gary Payton, second. Gary Payton's out. Mm. Bro- broken elbow. Now, if that happens in a play where... It, Guys collide while in the rebound, and the guy goes down and down, and he does that. That's fine. If he gets it when he's going up for a layup, and a guy goes up and, and blocks his shot in a contested shot, uh, and he goes down, and it's okay. But when a guy winds up, swings the crowd, he not only whacked him in the head, uh, and they haven't shown it very often, but his legs got extended out, so he was falling one direction. And he followed through with his legs and hit the guy's legs and turned him so he couldn't even break his fall. I don't know if you've re-looked at that, but uh, he, oh, of course. his legs you know, turned him again right at the very end. So when you get a flagrant two and you're thrown out of a game and you break a, guy, and you break a guy's arm, his elbow, whatever it might be, 
more should be done than just a, a you know a game suspension or whatever that has happened to him. That that should be, I mean, he should be suspended till like I could come back. I mean, the crazy thing about it, you know, an injury like that. Gary Payton III is a really good defensive player. He was he barely made the roster this year, and he's kind of a feel good story in that he was one of the last guys added to the Warriors roster but then rose up to being an integral part of their rotation. So he had this, you know, sort of Rudy-esque story of working his way all, all the way up in, into a rotation on a championship contender. But I say that to say he is by no means a guy that has a lock to succeed in this league. He's a guy that is fighting for a role. And now you're talking about an injury that he probably will bounce back from, but one will cost him this huge opportunity in a playoffs. Warriors could, could – with him, I think we're had a real shot at winning the title this year. But then also you jeopardize his career because now you have a guy who already had to keep fighting to stay in the league and to get a second contract who now has an injury he's going to have to spend an entire summer rehabbing. To me, this is uh, that was a really bad play. That has some really major consequences for Gary Payton, who got hurt. And I look at it... And, the, and, the, war, and, and the Warriors... No, no doubt about it. I'll get to that in one second because it's an important point. Okay. But the, the thing with Dylan Brooks is I don't think he was trying to hurt Gary Payton. I think he was reckless, and it's just as bad to be reckless as it is to be dirty because reckless, as you mentioned, he ended up hurting his elbow, but he could have hurt his leg. He could have hurt his head. He could have hurt any part of his body. He was hit in a way that made him out of control in the air, and reckless uh, to me deserves – I mean, I'm with you. Several game suspension. We can't have that in the league. And 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 game suspensions without money. You know, uh, uh, charging Draymond Green, uh, uh, you know, what fifty thousand dollars for for giving a finger, whatever he was doing. Right. You yeah. know, you've got to start in the NBA with the kind of money that's there. Uh, you've got to you got to the fines are going to have to be game checked to get their attention. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean the the price of Annie has gone way up fifty thousand dollars. I mean as as crazy as that is to you and I, fifty thousand right now changes my life for the next six months. Right? I mean I, it does. Right. Uh, yeah. The Draymond he doesn't even know. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't write that check. It just comes out of automatic draw. You know, and that, right. you know, but uh, when it's game checks. When it's multiple game checks, you're hearing from your agent. You're hearing from your wife. Well, you're hearing from your wife. <laughs> you're, you're, your wife and your girlfriend at that point, uh, yeah. Gil. You're hearing from both. No, but I, I with Draymond flipping off the crowd, 50000 to me, I'm fine with it. Like, to me, I don't I, mind players. I, and that doesn't bother me. I'm just saying the fine yeah. is ridiculous. I don't, I, well, what, fine, what he did fine. to get it, I don't care. But the, that's a ridiculous fine. Well, what I'm saying is I, do, I don't mind players being fined for bad language or criticizing officials. Like, the fines, they're, they are somewhat performative, and I don't really care about them. For injuring a you player? Don't get I'm me started. Like, don't you get me started. You're about to. Go ahead. About what? Uh, officials. Oh, yeah. I think, I don't, I, I don't mind I think guys should be able to, uh, to, to, to talk bad about the officials. The NBA maybe has the worst officials of any professional sports league going. Uh, I, 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 have, I have almost never once seen someone thrown out of a game for technicals 
that didn't right. that didn't start with a horribly bad call from the officials, right. and then the retaliation starts then, and then they get thrown out of the game. Well, how about the fact that in the NBA we know what officials have issues with certain players? I mean, oh, yeah, no, that. that's a grudge league. If, if we could say Scott Foster, uh, Chris Paul is 2-17 in, in playoff games officiated by Scott Foster, I think we could look at that and say, hey, there's probably something there that this guy just calls the game differently or has a vendetta against him. We look at Tony I'd Brothers. Dunahay was calling my games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you could look at and say Tony Brothers – gives Jokic a technical every other time he officiates one of his games, maybe there's something between those guys and, and the league needs to do something about that. So I'm with you that he should be able to, to criticize. But the biggest takeaway from all of this is that if you look at this playoffs, who has a realistic shot at winning a title? To me, it was Boston. Milwaukee has a puncher's chance, but I think Boston and Phoenix are the favorites. Uh, Milwaukee, a puncher's chance, and I think Golden State better than a puncher's chance. Uh, and now you take away Gary Payton, who was – a key player, not just in their current series and guarding John Morant, but a key player if they were to advance and go up against Devin Booker and Chris Paul because he's their lockdown perimeter defender, and you take that away. To me, I look at it, and I know this sounds crazy, I don't think Golden State can beat Phoenix now. I honestly think that changes wow. that series from 60-40 to something more like 90-10. It's kind of funny because Devin Booker came in the league and he was pretty good. Chris Paul yeah. went over there... Uh, in the first month or two of the season, uh, he was still pretty good. When when Jamal Murray went down, that, that, that and this did not have nothing to do with each other, but but it, chronologically it happened in about the same time. When when Jamal Murray went down and was had not played a game since, that's when Devin Booker became became right. uh, yeah. be, became Jamal Murray. I mean, he's right. doing stuff yep. Jamal Murray was doing. Yep. Uh, you know, he was going. He gets out. He goes and scores fifty points in a game. He's, he, you know, he, he he goes and finishes unbelievably at the basket. And all the things that goes on. But my point this, is, if Jamal Murray doesn't go on, go down, Devin Booker's still doing that. But Jamal Murray would have been doing that all year. Yeah. <laughs> so look at I mean, him and say, think. "That's what we're missing right there. We're missing Devin Booker." Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And when we talk about now that we are a year and a half removed, two postseason runs removed from the Murray injury, you know, what are all of the fallouts? Well, the Nuggets, you know, missed these prime Jokic years, two MVP years. They missed the opportunity to really compete in the playoffs. Uh, this, is a, think, this is a window year for the Broncos without, or, excuse me, for the Nuggets without <laughs> their injuries. Right. Oh, no question about it. Absolutely no question about it. But I the, think the, West, other the, West, thing, the West got thinner. Uh, from does, from uh, last year, uh, not the East has got thicker. But but your interesting point about Devin Booker here that I want to get back to is Jamal Devin Booker was a very good player two yeah. years ago. He's an even better player by a wide margin now. And Jamal Murray, everybody always talks about is he going to get back to a hundred percent? It's not to me. That's not the question. The question is. Is he going to get back to 150%? Because that's what trajectory he was on, was not just getting back to what he was two years ago. He was growing every year. Yep. And so did, did you just miss out on that development? Or when he comes back next year, does he make up for lost time and, and you get an even better Jamal? That's the, the Nuggets, I think, don't think win a championship with 2020 Jamal. They win a championship with an improved Jamal. And, and that's a and, big question. And, and as badly he was playing when he started last year, Michael Porter Jr. 
if and and uh, they were they were they had they had dedicated at that slot he was going to be the starter in that slot and just play through whatever it is. He was still averaging 19 points a game, but he was missing yeah, but he a lot. Was yeah. But there would have been a time when those nerves and all of that stuff that caused yep. him problems would have just gone away. And then he'd have been the right. guy we thought. We missed a whole right. year of that because of that. Uh, His development, uh, Jamal, I think, you, you still have hope that he can come back stronger and get back on that track. Michael Porter's the interesting one because he just hasn't played a lot of basketball in the last five years. Five. And so you wonder, like, what is his growth rate? Because I'm with you. Michael Porter had the most, like, headroom for him to grow into his talent. His talent was immense, but he had this this and area they, where you could see. And they, oh, they were finally so giving it better. to him. They, they they kept him out of it for two, two and a half years. They were finally giving him his, point, his, his time on the court. And I think how you feel about the Nuggets' title chances going forward in large part depends on two things. One – do you think Michael Porter can stay healthy? And two, how do you feel about his ability to improve? Because if he's a guy that plays 40 games a year, I just don't think you can improve enough playing every other week or having to rest so much. Like, he needs reps. He needs opportunity. He needs to be healthy for, you know, two straight years so he can go into an offseason and work all offseason on his game and go into a season and work rather on than rehabbing. Games. Yeah. Ra- yeah, rather than, oh, I missed December because I'm rehabbing this and I missed February because of that. So, to me, how you feel about the Nuggets' future really can be whittled down to how you feel about those two things with Michael Porter. Okay, I kind of rethought a guy that this morning, seeing that he went in for back surgery. How do we reassess what, we, what we're thinking about Ben Simmons? Because he's honestly in surgery yeah. right now. I think he's in surgery as we're talking. Uh, may, you know, I'm, me, I thought he was just doing a phantom you know, injury thing. Right. So do we look yeah, at him it, different? Well, and it's also the same surgery that Michael Porter had, a microdisectomy. So, it's, I mean, those two guys are, are awfully paralleled in that way. I think you have to. I mean, back, here, here's the one thing I'll say is players have had long careers after back surgery. Danilo Gallinari had a back surgery, came back, and he's still playing at a high level. Like, you have guys that do this, and they end up coming back from it, and maybe their careers are cut short, mostly at the end of their careers, meaning he might not play till be 40, he might only play till 34, 35. Michael Porter might only play till 31, 32. But they still can have a lot of healthy years if everything breaks right for him. Ben Simmons, though, you look at it and you say, well, you know, he does have the shooting issue in that he's afraid to shoot. He's afraid to get fouled because then he has to shoot free throws. He's, got, you look 30, at it, he's got 34 three-point attempts in his career. It's it's crazy how few and, and the makes I think are like four. Makes. I am that's only thirty four more than me. Those are attempts, Gil. Most of those are misses. All but like oh, yeah. four of those were misses. So, uh, so he has that issue, and then you look at the issue of you know he had the fallout with his teammates, and he kind of quit. Maybe there was a little justification, but not. I never totally justify a guy for quitting on his team. So you have that, and then you factor in a back surgery, and I look at him the same way I look at MPJ. There's a lot of a lot of ifs. For you to totally buy in for him reaching his ceiling, there's a lot of things that have to go in his favor. He's still a really good player, and he, and it. The, uh, some guys, when they when they're not good shooters, they just continue to shoot. You know, he continued right. to enter the basket. He continued to be one of the top defenders in the league. Uh, he's a yep. really still a really good facilitator. I'd love to have him on my team. Well, here's as a player, though. not as maybe in the locker room. 
Well, here, here's the thing, because I agree with you. I love his talent. I wanted him on the Nuggets roster years ago, but here's the thing. You watch these series with Phoenix and Boston, and you watch Golden State. It takes an enormous amount of toughness to succeed in this league. Mental toughness, not yeah. physical toughness. Uh-huh. Mental toughness. And I think when we talk about all these talented guys, I think that guys, there is a cutoff to where I don't care how talented you are. If you can't handle the pressure, it is going to be exposed at some level. And Draymond Green thought Aaron Gordon was one of those guys, and he was trying to make him crack. And I tipped my hat to Aaron Gordon in that series yeah. while he wasn't, didn't play great. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I thought he handled that pressure very, very well and, and, and did not get rattled. He was rattled early, but he bounced back and, and Aaron back. Gordon is not going to help you much when he's the number two option. He's not that good there. He's going to help you when he's the fourth and the fifth option. We've had that discussion. I want him to go nowhere. I'll tell you who's mentally tough and he, and is, is Will Barton. <laughs> he, is, he is a mentally well, tough guy. He doesn't let things get to him. Uh, I wish Sometimes I wish he did, but he's a mentally tough guy. I, I agree with you. He's mentally tough. I mean, he's a guy who comes from Baltimore. He's, one of the, he's a guy that beat the odds. You know every step of the way, which is it's sad sometimes. I look, better, I look, I look at all of those guys a little bit different now, having watched The Wire. Right. Oh, for sure. And how they for grew sure. up, and with the neighborhoods they grew up in, and the, the all of the gangs and all of that stuff. And I know Will Barton, like I mean, it, right out of that comes exactly from that that scenario, and he lived in twelve different houses between you know eighth and twelfth grade, and. I mean, he's one of those guys that has that story, and he beat all those odds. He stayed out of trouble. Like, I, I have a ton of respect for Will Barton. I will say, I think that Will Barton, when you talk about being mentally tough, this fan base has never liked him. He got booed in a playoff home game from the Denver crowd, and I think all those things have had enough. I mean, Peyton Manning still talks about being booed by, the, by, by a home crowd. Like, those things, athletes don't forget. And I think with Will Barton, it's been four or five years of the fans kind of hating him. And I think it's finally worn on him to where he I, – I would be shocked if he wanted to return to Denver next year on his contract. My guess is he wants to be traded. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize Barton grew up in Baltimore. I, I, I just kind of looked at, at uh, Carmelo different. Carmelo. Uh, and his story, I'll tell you, Barton's story is fantastic. I mean, yeah. he really is an impressive guy and – all of the things he had to do. How, how early didn't he you had do? To grow didn't up you life. do an 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 in depth piece on him? Yep. Where, where can we where can we find that? I mean, you'd have to Google. It's called Thrill Will Barton Blythe in, in basketball, and it was my favorite project I've ever worked on, actually. And it's called Thrill. You know, 
Yeah, Thrill, Colin, Will Barton's Life in Basketball. Okay, and then it'll come up on YouTube? Uh, I think it'll just come up on, on Google is, is your best bet. But okay. His story's an interesting one. It's like a good sports story. Yeah. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick break, right? It's a pretty interesting segment we had, and we barely talked much nuggets. We talked <laughs> most other things going on there, but, you know, the NBA has some things they have to kind of deal with. Uh, yeah. You know, and, you know, the, you know it, it, it's one of the most frustrating officiating league. I think I liked it better when it was Mindy Rudolph and Joe Gashu. Don't know those ones, Gil. Every now and then you throw one out, I don't catch. You don't know those names? Nope. Well, those were officials. Those were the officials. Those were the officials when the NBA said, we don't want the people knowing the official's name, and they made them all look the same and all the, everything else. <laughs> it was Joe Gashu and Mindy Rudolph who were the, uh, who were the, colorful, the, the colorful referees, and everybody knew their name. And that, <laughs> the NBA said, yeah, we don't want that. Well, there you go. And then they came up with Tim Donahue. All right. Uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, a lot of the NBA officials used to come in my restaurant back in the day. Really? Uh, yeah, all, all the time. And, and uh, officiating crews and all that different thing. And I'd, I'd sit there and talk to them. I'd have loved to have made friends with Dunahay. You know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Could have made a lot of money. I, I, I would have <laughs> known what to do with that information. <laughs> uh, Adam Mates, once again, thank you very much, sir. It is Adam Mates, and it is the DNBR. Perspective, experience, and a sense of humor. If you don't get it, listen closer. Gil Whiteley says things you need to think about. If you're wondering if he just said that, he did. Whiteley so. Mile High Sports. Hello, welcome back, Gil Whiteley. Mr. Andrew, how are you, sir? You know what, Gil? I've got absolutely no complaints. Okay. You? Uh, Andrew Detmer joins us in talking baseball as we do every Thursday at a, a basically right around 1230. And uh, I kind of let you lead this segment uh, in, in what we're doing. Uh, I've always been impressed with your baseball uh, knowledge. And, uh, and even at your tender age, and it's not as tender as people think. People think you're younger than you are. You're, you're like 33 now or something, right? Uh, 31. Close enough. But no, a lot of people still mistake me for like 25, 26. And <laughs> yeah. they're shocked when I say, no, I'm, I'm in my 30s. Yeah, no, it's always good. I was always considered, I always looked a lot younger than I, than I, uh, than people took me for. Uh, and, uh, and it, which was good. Now that, not so much anymore. Not happened a while. <laughs> I mean, if I look as good as you do when I'm your age, I will definitely, that will be oh, a feather good. in no, my cap. Trust me, you don't want to look like me. <laughs> uh, I don't want to look like me. When I lost all my hair, oh my God. Uh, and it just happened in three months. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, Matthew Stafford, who's a high school uh, teammate of basketball, baseball, football. You know, they, they played all of it together. As youngsters, they were friends as kids and teammates and 
different sports until they isolated to their own sport and stuff. Uh, 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 Stafford hated the fact that that Kershaw got pulled out of that perfect game, but understood that later in the season, uh, as they're making a drive to you know to win the pennant and all the other things, a healthy Kershaw is much more important uh, than getting uh, what that was. And I think Kershaw, at least in for the next year or so, or you know, I think he gets credit for that perfect game. From I'm talking about from the admiring fan base. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. You know, this is a, a guy in Clayton Kershaw who just this past Saturday set the all-time Dodgers uh, strikeout record, uh, taking it over from uh, Don Sutton. Who had uh, just under to uh, twenty seven hundred? Clayton right now is sitting at twenty seven hundred. You know, in a with the franchise with as many greats as they do. Well, they, yeah, you know, they had uh, Don Drysdale was a great strikeout artist. Yeah. Uh, but Sandy Koufax only pitched, I think, nine years. Uh, is that correct, on Koufax? Yeah. Uh, uh, Koufax is fourth in the franchise. I know, and he only pitched nine years. I saw all these guys pitch. Oh, I, I, that's why I actually wanted to bring this up with you. You know, this is a franchise that also has had Fernando Valenzuela for a while. Sure. Oral Hershiser, Ramon, Mar- Ram- uh, Ramon Martinez. You know, Kershaw is a guy who, in the regular season... Well, Johnny Padres, we might as well, we want to go back a little, a, a little ways. Uh, yeah. The guy that invented the slider. Oh, God, what was his name when came out of there? He was their pitching coach for a long time. Uh, the guy that actually invented the slider pitch for the Dodgers. Uh, I did not know that. And he was the Dodgers pitching coach. That there was no, got to have as your pitching there, coach. There was no slider in the 50s. So so base batters were, were facing change-ups, fastballs, and curveballs. And when the slider came in, it changed a lot of things. And... and Oh, what's his name? We gotta we gotta Google that during the break when we when we go do that. I will do that. But um, the question I actually have for you, you know, Ker- uh, Kershaw is one of the greatest pitchers of all time, easily one of the greatest uh, regular season pitchers of all time. His only real hiccups come in the postseason. But you know, for a franchise that's that's had the the Don Suttons, the Don Drysdales, the Sandy Koufaxes, where do you where would you rank Clayton Kershaw just as as a pitcher in team history? In Dodger team history, yeah, uh, I really like Clay Kershaw. I I've liked him from, since he came up. Uh, I, I I was surprised that last year, I mean, Bueller had become the ace on that staff, and I'm like, what? You know, that, uh, that's how good the Dodgers pitching staff is. He's, you know, Clayton Kershaw is not the ace. Uh, I I think he I think Clayton Kershaw to be that deserves to be in the top. Three, I think Koufax is by far hands down number one. Drysdale, not so much. Drysdale is kind of a 500 pitcher that was on a six, 600 team. You know, uh, much like Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan was basically a 500 pitcher. I mean, if you look at his record, he's got a ton of wins, got a ton of there. But his, his record is just, you know, I used to have Bob Feller on my show all the time, who was a bad guy, by the way. Uh, he treated... My, my board ops and the people who called him horribly, and then he got on the air with me, and he was, like, nice. And then I found out later he was considered an ambassador to baseball. And so he would talk on radio shows and hate the fact that he had to do it. And he, But he'd turn my show in and another show. He'd do three or four a day. 
that baseball would pay him $500 for every show he went on. So he always said yes. It's a nice gig. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, uh, and, you know, Felder's the first guy to throw back to back no hitters. You know, <laughs> games after, you know, uh, but he was one of the hardest throwing pitchers. Bullet Bob Feller. He was one of the hardest throwing pitchers of all times. Uh, uh, and Feller hated Nolan Ryan because Nolan Ryan's win loss record was was you know just a 500 pitcher, and and he's right. You know, that, and you get in there, uh, but I, I you know it, Sandy Koufax was untouchable. You watch you'd watch him, and I've sat behind home plate, which is where I love to sit. That's where my season tickets are here. And boy, you just that ball was just falling off a shelf. It was unbelievable to watch him pitch. Drysdale was great to watch. Johnny Padres was was really good. I, uh, I, uh, God, I'm trying to think of something. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, what did Sutton end up with? Is, was Sutton the, the the guy that they just broke his record? Yeah, Sutton had uh, 2,696. Yeah. He was like Sutton a, was really good. Yeah, I, I might have to put Kershaw at number two, two, three, four. They're right in there. They really have a great history of pitchers. You know, I, as a kid, I grew up going to games, Dodger games. Yeah, from I, a numbers I, perspective. I moved from Chicago to, to Los Angeles in the, the summer of 59. The White Sox won the pennant. They played the Dodgers. Uh, they're still the two largest games to ever see a baseball game. I was at. People think the Rockies opener was the biggest one. There was eighty thousand there. There was ninety-two and ninety-three thousand people to watch the White Sox play the Dodgers in the Coliseum. And it was both of your teams. Yeah, yeah, and no, I was a White Sox fan at that point. Well, it was your your current team and my with, future your, with your team, future yeah. team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, Clayton Kershaw, like. It's underrated just how dominant he was for a good seven or eight years. He was easily the best pitcher in the game, and that was a game that had, you know, Adam Wainwright in his peak, Roy Holiday, you know, some of the greatest pitchers of our time. He was easily the best of that for seven or eight years, and really, it only took a back injury to really start to knock him off that list. But if there was, a, if there was like an elite room for, in the Hall of Fame for like the goat of goats, I would have to put Kershaw in that room. He's the active leader in ERA and a lot of other pitching stats. And just there was nobody better than Clayton Kershaw when Kershaw was in his peak, and you know if, uh, yeah I agree with that. If it hadn't been for the, the Bob Gibson, the, you know Bob Gibson was he he's he he's in that same class with with Sandy Koufax. Same Bob, time too. Bob yeah Bob Gibson was a lifetime three hundred hitter. I mean Bob Gibson was a man who traveled around with the. Uh, the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh, yeah. He's a basketball player. Like, this dude was athletic as it gets. Oh, he was a great athlete. Yeah. Did but you... no, if, it, if it wasn't for the postseason hiccups that Clayton Kershaw has had, you know, we could be talking about him as the greatest pitcher in Dodger history. And it really only is. The only spots on his record have come in the postseason when the games matter most. So it is weighted a little bit more than the regular season. But, like, man, watching him in his peak was actual breathtaking. And I did not like him as, as a... As a baseball fan. I didn't like him because he was always dominating every other team, including my Cardinals. I don't understand that. Why people, you know, people hated Tom Brady for the same reason. That, that, that never... That, I think they just... You don't, I, hate, you don't hate greatness because they beat your team. You appreciate it. I've come to appreciate yeah. that. 
when I was younger and Tom Brady. It's a completely different situation. But, I, yeah, no, Clayton Kershaw, I hate. I guess I hated him because he wasn't on my team. And I wanted, to, I wanted him on my team. You know, I play all the, the Major League Baseball game, video games. And when he was in his peak, he's the guy that I was always trading for on my team just to watch him dominate and dominate with him as a player. Tommy Hawkins was a good, was a good friend of mine who was actually, a, he played basketball at Notre Dame, played basketball for the Lakers, but was an executive later on with the Dodgers. And he ran their, he ran their, uh, their audio visual videotaping, all of that. He was the executive that, that hired everybody and, and did all of that stuff. Uh, when I was in high school, he used to do the high school game in the week in basketball. And uh, he did our game, and and uh, I got the player of the game, and so he interviewed me after that. And then we kind of became friends and talked and whatever else. And, and we, that, that held on to that friendship for a long time. When I went to the first winter meetings I went to uh, for the baseball commission, I was hanging with, uh, with Tommy there, and he said, would you like to come sit with us uh, for dinner? And he was at like table 645 and I was at like table 10, you know, at, you know, what table we're going to say it. And I thought, you know, maybe, you know, table 10 sounded better. And I said, you could sit with us. I got an extra seat there. And he, I said, yeah, no, I'll come sit with you. You know, that, you know, meet new people. Well, table 645 was right in front of the Diaz. I was sitting next to Peter O'Malley the owner of the Dodgers, Tommy Lasorda was at the table. Davey, uh, uh, Davey uh, oh, he was the manager at the Dodgers at the time. Uh, uh, Davey Lopes, uh, he was third base coach, I think, at that time, was sitting there. And I talked to Lasorda, who has been on my show several times over the years. And uh, uh, Lasorda once told me a story saying, that when he was in Brooklyn, uh, that uh, uh, they had a kid pitcher before the Dodgers came to L.A. They had a young pitcher who had great stuff but was wild as could be. And Lasorda was not a catcher. He was the bullpen coach. He was, he was the guy that caught warm-ups. He, you know, he caught, you know, when someone, when the bullpen got up, he was a bullpen catcher. Those guys aren't on the roster. Well, he worked day and night on this guy, which was saying, turned out to be Sandy Koufax, and brought got Koufax's, Koufax's arm into where he could get it over the plate, and he had and, and throughout his career he had he had uh, he had uh, credited uh, uh, Tommy Lasorda with having saved his career for what he did, uh, you know, just working with him in the bullpens under the stands. Back then, the bullpens were under the stands in yep. the dark. I don't know if you know that. I I, I think you've you've, met, you've mentioned that a couple times. I don't know. I think I, I'm not sure I ever mentioned that, but I just did. But uh, anyway, just to let you know, Lasorda had a big deal to do with 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 Sandy Koufax, even getting in a game because he's a wild man. I mean, again, Sandy Koufax is just one of those. Like, if if he was if he played longer than he did. He'd be in that tier one of pitchers, like his stuff. Like just going back and watching some yeah. film. Whenever, yeah, and Jerry West it. are the two the two people that I would wanted to interview most over the years and never did. Just never able to get around to it. 
I, I tried so many times and couldn't get them. They don't like, they didn't like doing interviews, number one. And then, you know, I had no real, I had no real pull in either slot. So. I mean, trying to get pull with Sandy Koufax is like pulling teeth. I still got to go through. I got my Henry Aaron interviews. I mean, I, I got some interviews that you'd be interested in listening to. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's take a quick break. We're talking baseball. Gil Whiteley gives you reasons, not excuses, and Whiteley so. Talking baseball, it's Gil Whiteley, Andrew Detmer, and we just went past Rick Monday. You know what Rick Monday is? It's different than Todd Tuesday. Huh? I'm guessing it's different than Todd no, Tuesday. No, Rick Monday, as it, it just was a week and a half ago. That was the day that the guys were on the, in the outfield. They were trying to light an American flag on fire, and Rick Monday went over there and knocked them, knocked those guys down, and grabbed the American flag and kept them from doing it. I don't think I'm familiar with that story. Huh? I don't think I'm familiar with that story. You are familiar with it. I don't it think no? so. Oh yeah, well, just you can Google Rick Monday. But uh, Dusty Baker, one of the great, uh, great stories in baseball, Dusty Baker. Yeah, no, uh, the guy who is being credited as creating the high five when he was with the Dodgers as a player. And, you know, just this past Tuesday, he became the 12th manager all time to have 3,000 managerial wins. Uh, who are they? I mean, who's like the most? Miller Huggins? Uh, uh, you know, uh, Casey Stengel? Uh, uh, Tony LaBrusa? Uh, Tony LaRusso is number two. Two? Okay. Yeah, he's well, two with... Every, well, every guy I just mentioned has got to be on that list. Uh, they have Spark, been. Sparky Anderson? Uh, yep. uh, uh, ooh. Managed for 53 years. Credit always wearing a suit when he was managing. Oh, uh, uh, not Ken Mountain Landis. Uh, this was back, uh, started in the 18- Yeah, I know what you're talking about, and I'm, and I'm just killing me. Connie Mack. Connie Mack, yes. Managed for 53, 53 years, wow. Uh, 3,731 career wins. And uh, the newest member into the 2000 managerial club, Dusty Baker. You know, that's a man I hate that he manages for the Astros. Because I do not like the Astros. Yeah. And him being on the Astros makes me somewhat kind of want to root for the Astros because I can't think of many more people in the game of baseball that are more likable than Dusty Baker. Well, Tony Roose is pretty likable. You know, he, he was the guy I he was he was one of the people I was waiting for to get out of the dot out of the showers and out of the clubhouse to go to dinner when I was wait, when I had, had that best beer ever. I, I, did I even write that in that article? It was yeah, uh, you have yeah. It was it was uh, yeah. Uh, Ron Schuler, Jim Leland, Davey Nelson, and uh, and Tony Larusa. I just rather than go in a sweaty clubhouse at the under under the old Comiskey Park is to go over to McCarty's and we'll come by and and uh, and and pick you up. With, you know, and we'll go out to dinner wherever it was you going. Know, on. Didn't you once upon a time rear end? Tony, huh? Didn't you end up rear-ending? I did. Tony I did run in the back of Tony Larusta's car, and the door popped open, and he fell out. 
And then he, when we got out, we're like, oh, my God, he's hurt. He was just laughing. He said, yeah, don't worry about it. He had a lot of damage, and I was driving a tank. I was driving an old 86 Cadillac Seville, which was a, you know, that was a tank, you know, and no, no damage. <laughs> but whatever he was driving, the bumper was hanging off. He said, yeah, don't worry about it. I'll just turn it in there. Give me a new one. That's quite the story. <laughs> uh, so, real quick on Dusty Baker before we get out of here. Well, I was, I, it wasn't random. I was following yeah. him to dinner that yeah. night. Yeah, I remember. Uh, so, with Dusty Baker, real quick, a lot of people hold the fact that he hasn't won a World Series as a manager against him in his Hall of Fame case. You know, but every manager in the top, uh, in the 2000 win, 2000 win managerial club, the only man that's not in the Hall of Fame aside from Baker is the newly retired Bruce Bochy who won several World Series championships. Do you think Dusty Baker with the 2000 wins, is that good enough for you Well, for you to think that he should be in the Hall of Fame as a manager? I don't know. I'm not sure I put him there. I'm not sure he was ever... I don't think he was ever the most dominant manager in the game when he was a manager. Uh, I, you know, longevity. You know, George Carl is in a, a big club, and he's never won it. Uh you know, uh, uh, Dan Reeves is in the big club. He's, you know, he, he's, uh, he's over 200 wins, which is a very small club. Uh, you know, uh, I, although I think Dan Reeves will now get in the Hall of Fame, uh, the old-timers committee will, will write that wrong. So I, I think Dan will be a Hall of Fame uh, uh, head coach, as I think Mike Shanahan will, too. Mike Shanahan makes that. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not hard. It's not easy to do. It's not, it's just, just not easy to do. I mean, the fact that we still have teams running the Shanahan offense, you know, he's been retired for what? 10, well, 15 years. Yeah, teams are, teams are, are, are running the West Coast offense, which he was a master of, but it wasn't his offense. Okay. That's a fair that, point. But he, he learned it under, and I'm kind. Of, I'm trying to think of the. I'm trying to think of the San Francisco. Uh, he Kyle was, Shanahan? Huh? Kyle Shanahan? No, no, no. It goes way back. Matter of fact, uh, uh, when John Elway came up to Stanford, uh, uh, he was recruited by Jim Fossil, and Jim Fossil was the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach at Stanford for Bill Walsh. Who invented the the? It was Bill Walsh who invented the West Coast offense. So he, Jim Fossil, learned it from Bill Walsh, and then Mike Shanahan later learned it from Bill Walsh when he was the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach for San Francisco. Okay, when his two quarterbacks were Joe Montana and Steve Young. Then he comes here and he's John Elway's his quarterback. So. Can become a pretty good coach when those are names you're Yeah, you, you don't have a lot of losing seasons with those guys. Whoa, I'm throwing a lot of history out there. It's always, <laughs> always welcome. We're at the end of it. Uh, it's Richard Friday tomorrow, everybody. Have a safe day. Hey, kids, plug into the- 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.